Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Hey there, Charles. Joe, we always like to do a bit of a recap of what has happened the week before, before we kind of look forward to the week ahead. But there is some news that broke yesterday that... I know I'm just so excited to talk about because it has quite literally blown my mind. Let's get straight into it. Let's talk about the Colts. This is absolutely bonkers. I mean, Jeff Saturday appointed head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. What is going on there? I don't think people are making enough out of how bonkers this is. Wouldn't you agree? Well, for a start, there is zero precedence of any NFL team hiring a coach with zero experience at NFL level or college level. He doesn't have experience of coaching it either. And what makes this story even more bonkers is that there's already two people on the Colts staff who have NFL coaching experience that he's like just shot past. I mean, my question beyond the placement is, how do you expect members in that staffing room to fall in line behind that behind someone that's got no experience in coaching there's so much to unpack here and when you say he's got no nfl experience and no college experience we're not talking head coach experience we're talking coaching experience full stop he hasn't been assistant to the assistant on the special teams of a college team his whole coaching experience is coaching hebron christian academy which is a high school to a 2016 record from 2017 to 2020. And I mean, that sounds more like a hobby than a job, really. I'm <laughs> yeah. pretty sure that. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that if we rocked up there and asked if we could chuck a few few bills around, we could probably coach Hebron Christian Academy. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> No disrespect, but that's, but that's not the kind of CV you need to even start thinking about this job. I mean, that definitely goes the pro- in the hobbies and interests section of the CV, doesn't it? Oh, it's not prior it's, experience. <laughs> it's hobbies and interests. Uh, cricket, speaking French, and coaching at <laughs> Hebron Christian Academy. <laughs> like, jeez. But so, uh, so he's got Gus Bradley and John Vox, who between them have twenty years of NFL coaching experience. So that's defensive coordinator Gus Bradley and his assistant John Fox. So, if they were going to take someone with a CV, Jim Mercy could have picked either one of those guys. But say, you know, say he is going left field. Say he is thinking, hey, you know, I want to mix it up. I want to get someone with that dog in him into the team, you know, try and get a player like that in. Well, you've got Reggie Wayne and Kato June on the staff. You know, both of those players won Super Bowl in 2006 with the Colts. So if his thinking was he needs a veteran legend, well, there's already veteran legends involved in the organization right now. Didn't want either of those guys. So all of those guys that I've just mentioned there, like, it's quite the fu to all of them. They basically have been like looked over for Jeff Saturday, who's just bumbled in from a TV studio. It's wild, and I was thinking about this yesterday. I was trying to create some rhyme or reason behind it. It feels wholly uncompetitive, if you ask me. It feels like a placement that has been done to. I mean, not even placate fans, because surely fans look at this and go, this isn't the position we wanted. Yes, we love him as a as an ex-legend, but do they really want him coaching? But it kind of feels like more of a PR statement than it does a credible hiring. Some more things to unpack there. So when you say that 
this feels uncompetitive. Basically, every move that the Colts have made over the last three weeks have been making themselves less competitive. When the news first broke that Sam Ellinger was going to be the starting quarterback, people thought, oh, you know, it's because Matt Ryan um, hasn't been performing. They're, you know, bringing in a player who may play better. No, that wasn't the reason why they brought in this second-year quarterback. As we touched on, I think we touched on this previously, if Matt Ryan gets injured, uh, he's guaranteed $17 million next year if he can't play football, um, I think something like March the 1st. Otherwise, they can cut him for something like 10, 11 million. So the difference is 7 million. So for 7 million, they're not playing their veteran quarterback anymore just because he may get injured into next season. And they're going with a player who he was looked over for Matt Ryan at the start of this season. They didn't want him to start last season when they brought Carson Wentz in. He's not someone who's been deemed starter quality at any point previously it's just because they're going to save seven million that have put him in and announce him a start for the rest of the year massively uncompetitive this move here it's not to win games you're not going to bring jeff saturday in to win games just factually the head coaching position in american football is probably one of if not the most important head coaching roles in all of sports there's some teams where you know you can have a part-time manager in there you can have a conductor you can have that kind of thing you can't have that with a head coach position in american football there is so much to the role it is so involved i've spoke about it on the show previously but these guys are literally living at the institution's all week. They don't see their families. They don't go home. They are constantly putting in the hours and working. And you have to have that experience and that history of knowledge. The only thing that I can think of, and it links back to the previous point, is Jim Irsay is basically putting a rocket up everyone in the organisation and saying none of you have been performing good enough to be promoted to head coach. I- I'm basically trying to mug and embarrass all of you off. So I'm going to put Jeff Sadie in because that's what I think of you all. And that's literally all it can be, because that is the only message that he's given out with us. Yeah, because this is the other thing. I thought, is this a pure tank move? But it doesn't even make sense for the Colts to like completely tank it. When you look at what they've got on their squad, when you look at Jonathan Taylor, when you look at Shaq Leonard, when you look at Michael Pittman, you think that... that they've got pieces there that they certainly want to keep interested enough to hang around because they're pieces that you can build a team around. It's not like they're, you know, scraping the bottom barrel and no players and and they're looking to pick up in the draft. It's the, just the most bizarre move. Yeah. And I don't think they really can tank properly, Charles, with the contracts they have for their offensive line. For example, they have the most expensive offensive line in terms of contracts in the league. Uh, That offensive line is currently playing the worst in the league. That's an issue that you can't just fix in the draft. You've got players on contracts who are guaranteed money, who are guaranteed cap space. Big problems there that you can't fix with a tanking. It's bonkers, Charles. It's bonkers. Let's see how it plays out. We're saying all of this now, but they are playing Las Vegas. And if there's one team who can find a way to lose somehow, it's those guys. But that said, I think that this deserves, for the good of the league, for the good of head coaches everywhere... The Colts deserve to get absolutely ruined on Sunday. And I kind of hope they do, just to show respect to the head coach position. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, I'll certainly be monitoring 
the Colts fan base social media over this weekend because I can't wait to see what their view of it is really because they're the ones deeply affected and it, it feels weird. But moving on, Joe, talking about ways of winning and finding a way to lose, should we talk about the refs this weekend? Yeah, I want to talk about the refs because I feel that I can talk about it calmly considering the Vikings ultimately ended up beating the Commanders on Sunday. But we saw something you don't see too often, but a block in the back from a ref, PI, whatever you want to call it. What happened with Taylor Heineke throwing that deep ball into triple coverage that ended up being a touchdown for the Washington Commanders? Do you know what it's very slightly reminds me of, but they're totally polar ends of the spectrum. Do you remember that time when Dak had an absolute meltdown because he couldn't get the snap off in time and he blamed the ref for being in the way? Yeah, yeah, I do remember. We, just, we, we spoke about that last season. Yeah, and we were like, that's madness. There was no way the ref could get out of the way in that situation. This felt different. <laughs> this definitely felt the different. Ref- the ref didn't get out of the way. He basically took out a player. So just for those who haven't seen it, in the Vikings-Commanders game on Sunday, second and seven, Taylor Heineke basically just chucked one up and hoped someone was down there. There were three Vikings players down there and Curtis Samuel. Cam Bynum was basically on course for an interception. If you watch the play building up, see how he's tracking, see where his eyes are. He was going on for an interception like he made last week. Basically... When the ball was about 15 yards away from him, the referee, I guess you call it a spear, he spear tackled him, took him out. <laughs> then somehow the other two defenders weren't positioned as well as Bynum was. Samuel caught it, defenders fluff a tackle, and Washington scored a go-ahead touchdown to take a 10-3 league in what was a close game. fact of the matter is, though, the play was allowed to stand. Despite, if a ref was a player, it would have been a PI. It would have been PI called straight away and a, like a flagrant. PI. But the referee is counted as part of the field. They considered part of a field of play. And therefore, if referees interfere with the play on the field, it's not a dead ball. It doesn't get replayed. It it, it just happens. And my question to you, Charles, is do you think that's right? Do you think that the league should be looking at that rule and maybe saying it's a dead ball, replay the down if refs do get in the way like that? It's a very good question, and I don't like to draw parallels between other sports where it's not particularly applicable. And I think, you know, looking at uh, football over here in the UK, I think most of the time, if the ball hits the ref, it's like, mm, sorry, I got in the way, but that's that's the way it's gone down. American football is very different. It's not a free-flowing game in that sense. And so each individual play is so much more important than just like a general build-up of, you know, football in the Premier League, for example. It has an enormous impact. But then I think about the flip side of it and I think it causes problems if you automatically say that should be a dead ball because do we find scenarios where... If referees are close, you find players almost trying to draw contact with the referee. Is that a thing that you see happening if you if you bring in this rule? And I think on top of that, as difficult and soul-destroying as it is for the person that gets taken out by the ref, for somebody that who, who makes the catch and, and goes on to, you know, score a touchdown or, or whatever, unless you can categorically say that person was definitely getting to the ball, you also ruin their opportunity of making an amazing play. It's such a difficult one. 
I take some of those points, but I mean, this was the back judge that interfered with the play here. That's what makes it so bizarre. It wasn't like this was a five-yard pass and he just couldn't get out of the way in the split second the ball took to get to him. The ball was in the air. It, it was aired out. And he just wasn't in the game paying attention for long enough. So it feels to me, and, and, and you know, I'm totally just saying this because I'm one-sided and I've seen this happen to the Vikings at the weekend. But I don't see how it doesn't make sense to not just call it a dead ball and, re and replay the down. Because there's no way of knowing. There's no way of knowing if that player would have caught it, if the player wouldn't have caught it, if an interception would have been made, or if Samuel would have made a great play. And as no one knows, and no one can say with any categorical, definitive certainty, replay the down. Yeah, I think in a scenario like that, I'd say you almost have to treat it a bit like PI in so much as you have to say, was it possible for that player that was taken out to make a play that would impact the outcome of what was going down. If the answer is yes, yes I like that. Yeah. 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 If the answer is yeah. yes, yeah. then you go dead ball, replay. It's almost like a, look, sorry, I got in the way of that one, but we'll reset it. It benefits no one. It hinders no one. It's just scratched off the record. But I think you probably do need an element of at least that person had to had to feasibly, you know, be in a position that they could alter the play. At the weekend that was clearly the case. Yeah, that's fair. And, and, you know, this isn't something that happens often. But, I mean, it was just so flagrant. But I like what you say there, Charles. I, I, I like applying those PR rules. Makes sense. Anyway, shall we talk football now? Let's do it. Let's talk Bills and Jets because it's, it's the game on everybody's lips, baby. That was, that was so interesting to watch, I'll be honest. Because the first, well, I mean, the first play, but the first couple of plays you thought, oh, man. Bills are tearing the Jets apart here. This is not going to go the Jets' way. But what a comeback. And defensively, it was impressive, man. I mean, we we talk about the Jets' defense. We big them up. But they really played their socks off this weekend. Yeah, I think kind of Sauce Gardner's uh, character arc during that game is basically a metaphor for the Jets. He got burnt very, very early on. Uh, Stefan Diggs made a huge gain against him. And it looked like it could have been a tough, tough afternoon for Source. But he, he got himself into the game, played hard, ended up leading the team with seven tackles, a pass defended, and looked imperious by the end of the game. The Jets, you've got to hand it to them. I think that a lot of people were looking for excuses trying to explain why the Bills lost this. I think that's a natural thing to do when the favourite, per se, loses a game. But the Jets played good football. They played four quarters. How often could you say that about them last season, season before? They put four quarters together. So many times we've seen them keep a game close to the halfway mark, midway through the third quarter, and then just let it go. They held up all the way through. Yeah, and I think one of the things we called out about the Jets early on in the season is that even during their losing years, they were never a team that seemed to let their heads drop to the extent where they would utterly crumble you always saw the Jets trying always even in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach they always put in the effort and I wonder if this is almost the fruits of of that perseverance back in the losing days that here's a situation where it would have been easy for heads to drop it would have been really easy they've had a good run of games they lost last weekend here they are playing what is considered the best team in the league at the moment potentially in the Bills and to go down like they did at the beginning, they could have crumbled, but they had that fight in them that I feel has been instilled in them over a number of years. And they fought back and they, they held on and they did a brilliant job. 
I think it's the opposite. I think it's the fact that these players weren't around through a bad years when the Jets were used to losing. This is a pretty young Jets team. There's a lot of rookies who are out there on the field, a lot of second-year players. You know, you get rid of Brees Hall and you bring out Michael Carter. Those guys have started less than less than 10 games between them, uh, probably. The starters are rookies, their replacement are rookies, first years, second years. This is a team who's not used to losing. So when they find themselves in these situations, uh, they're playing like it's college out there. They're playing like how they used to win back at college. And I think that's what the change in Jets mentality is, rather than just being around through the bad times and sticking it out. And I think it helps tremendously to have a player like Sauce Gardner on your books. I mean... Despite getting burnt early on, he then... D-Roy, mate. Oh, he, he is with D-Roy. He is with D-Roy. I think that as long as he stays healthy... I think he only has to stay healthy for another couple of games. Yeah, because totally. I think, he, I think he's got D-Roy wrapped up by week 10, week 11. Give me one rookie defensive player who's been as good as him this year. I think he'll struggle. Yeah, massively. We've got to stop saying it, though, because every time we talk about the Jets, we talk about how good Source is. But... It's just because he reminds me of Revis. Yeah, but what's so hilarious is I was watching that initial play on Red Zone and I saw Diggs just do the little juke and absolutely burn him. And I, I, I was sat on my sofa watching it just thinking, oh no, the darling of our podcast. <laughs> it's <laughs> How are we going to spin this this week? But uh, he came through for us, Joe. He came through. I'm going to New York uh, next week. I think I might get myself a sauce jersey. Oh, yes. I like it. Good call. Yeah, get it on the wall. I'm not going to wear a Dirty Jets jersey, but, you know, go and get one. But, yeah, so look, what does this mean for the Bills, Charles, do you think? Second game they've lost this year. Second game they've lost to a team where they've gone in as pretty heavy favourites. You know, despite the record the Jets had, most people would have had the Bills down for this one. Is there a softness in this team? Is there a mental problem? Is there something that's stopping them from closing out these games or is it just that it's a long season and good teams will lose games unless you're in 1972 Miami Dolphins yeah I mean personally I looked at this game and I thought it doesn't need an overreaction yes the Bills lost yes the Jets were the better team and Allen didn't play brilliantly was there anything in the game that I thought oh there's a there's an element of the Bills game here that got completely exposed. No, just people weren't up to standards and Jets played sensationally. I don't think you need to read too much into this. And I still think come playoff time, Bills are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Do you think there could be re- repercussions here in terms of how a division plays out now? I mean, the Jets are 6-3 going into their bye week. The Bills are 6-2. They're only half a game behind. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But could the Jets take the AFC East? Is that even a possibility? I mean, what strength of schedule look like? Because you'd think that the Jets probably have a favourable one, given their position last season. Uh, exactly. Exactly. So we do have an easier year. Yeah, it's not beyond feasibility. I, I, it could happen. God, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Bills have a tough game next week against the 7-1 Minnesota Vikings. Well, Joe, I'm glad you raised this point, because actually I have a question for you. Go ahead. So as you mentioned, Vikings, they've won their last six games and they're on to play the Bills next. Now, they've won their last six games by one possession. Only Mm -hmm. one of their wins this year is against a team with a winning record, which was the Dolphins without Tua. Their next four games are Bills, Cowboys, Patriots and Jets. How do you feel about that? Like, do you feel that 
the Vikings are in a are in a good place and they compete with those teams, or do you think that the matchup so far for the Vikings have been favourable and and this could be quite a sticky period you're walking into? Okay, Charles, I want to flip that at you a little bit, and uh, like I sometimes I sometimes struggle with those kind of oh your your team may be you know seven and one eight and zero, but who have they beat? Because you can do it with most teams with a decent record. Like I mean, shall we just go through the Eagles quickly? The eight and O Eagles who have basically beaten the Lions, the Commanders, the Jaguars, the Cardinals, the Steelers, the Texans. They beat Kirk Cousins playing on prime time, which is a guaranteed W, and they beat the Cowboys without Dak Prescott. So you can look at that eight and O record of the Eagles and say, well, they haven't beaten a single decent team there. You can say that the Vikings may be 7-1 and have only beaten one team with a winning record, but had they lost those games, the teams they played perhaps would have winning records or at least be 500. So in terms of this kind of strength of schedule, I'm not that worried at all, really. Look, it's not an easy game against the Bills. It won't be an easy game against the Cowboys. They've got a tough run ahead of them, but uh, they're a 7-1 team. If they come out of it 7-5, and they'll probably still be top of the NFC North. So um, let's just see where it goes. Yeah, and I suppose as well, it's a bit of a loaded question. I said they've only won by one possession. We both sing off the same hymn sheet, Joe, where if you win, it's a win. Whether it's by one point, whether it's by 14 points, you, you just need that kind of tenacity and that drive and that, I suppose, almost experience to draw on that you know how to win a game and that will serve you well come playoff time. Exactly. And what would I rather be right now? Would I rather be a Vikings or an Eagles fan who's just getting W's week in, week out? It might not be the most exciting football all the time. But on the flip side of that, you could be like a Bengals fan. You could have an absolute blowout against the Panthers like they did on Sunday, but have a .500 record because then you're losing games to the Browns and you're losing divisional matchups. Now, the Bengals, like you know, there's potential for them to come back. But at the minute, they're playing for wildcard at best. And when they do get to the playoffs, if the players inconsistently as they are right now, they're not going to go very deep. Well, I mean, it, it was the Joe Mixon show this week. And I think the thing is, you know, they've had Joe Mixon all season. So it's not like they've finally unlocked something and they found some success here. He's been there, but the, the O-line has struggled to find him gaps. They've struggled to bring him into play. And I don't know if this game really changes anything for the Bengals. Well, you know, we said a few weeks ago that this O-line, there's a lot of talent there, a lot of money been spent on it. They were good players last season. You don't suddenly become a bad offensive line overnight with no injuries. The, the coaching was the issue. The gelling as a group was an issue. If they can put together a run of a few games in the stance I've just had now, maybe this O-line is coming good. Maybe this is a turning point for the Bengals. Maybe they can play a bit of catch-up. But let's be honest... The Ravens, who I've already talked about how much I like them. I think the Ravens are going to be a deep playoff team. The Ravens have probably got the AFC North tied up, probably. So at best, the Bengals at this stage are playing for a wildcard spot. I think, you know, there's, there's time for things to change. But the way things are going. Oh, it's certainly the impression that you, you're taking so far this season. But I think, you know, obviously we'll need to see them prove that on more than just the Carolina Panthers. Absolutely. Then the Falcons, Joe, they've lost another close one. You know, that's seven games now that have been decided by less than a score with the Falcons. 
We said at the start of the season that there'd be a fun team to watch. I think when you're in lots of close games like this, it's pretty fun. It's pretty exciting for the neutral. I'm not sure if the Falcons fans would say the same thing. But look, there's reasons for optimism. They are in a lot of close games, games that could go the other way. I think a lot of people thought after, you know, they lost so many players last season through either trading them away or off the field stuff like with Calvin Ridley. We thought this could really be a ground zero from the ground up rebuild. That's not really the case. They're competitive. So, you know, reasons to be optimistic that this team can push on and improve next season. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to get my brother back on the podcast again because I would love to know the the inner workings of a Falcons fan mind right now because they've been through those kind of gutter seasons of last season, or not even last season, but season before and, and parts of last season. This season, they're playing exciting football. They're winning games that you think they shouldn't, but then at the same time, they're still got to be that frustration of them chucking away games that you think you're in a position where you should be winning that um I don't know whether the excitement of actually seeing something positive coming from the team outweighs that frustration I think the only thing for me really is this are the Falcons playing almost a little too well the record they have with games of one they're probably not going to have a top five draft pick so whether they'll be able to pick up you know, one of the best quarterbacks from a league next season is probably unlikely at this stage. So interesting de- decisions then or whether they stick with Mariota, whether they twist and what they do at the quarterback position. It's going to be pivotal to how the team, you know, develop and push on over the next three years with the foundations they seem to have. So um, it's some interesting off-season decisions for the Falcons. Well, talking about quarterbacks, Joe, there was one quarterback that stole all the headlines this weekend. Selfish, greedy Tom Brady with his traditional news hogging headlines. Yeah, yeah. Rolling back for years, you know, fourth quarter, unlikely comeback. Classic, classic old Tom. But I mean, look, the fact we're talking about this game in the roundup at the end of the pod rather than its own section Gives a little indication, really, of where the Buccaneers and the Rams are right now and how far they've fallen since last season. Neither team is really looking like a powerhouse in the NFC. Yeah, like, you know, good for Buccaneers fans, good for Brady, but there's still serious problems with the team. And I don't think that a very lackluster game, because let's be honest, the commentators normally like to hype games up, normally like to talk about a matchup between the Rams and the Buccaneers, two teams who have been very strong in the last few years. They like to make more of it than what it is. But even, you know, Chris Collinsworth was saying how poor the game was, how there was little talent on show, how it didn't look particularly exciting. That was the narrative from the commentary team. So that just gives you an idea of of what we were dealing with on, on a Sunday evening. I just felt, you know, as someone who is doing the kind of John Travolta meme at the moment, looking around, trying to figure out where prime Aaron Rodgers is and having spoken about... You know, the quarterbacks that we kind of grew up with, how they're really suffering at the moment. Brady's not doing brilliantly. Rodgers isn't doing brilliantly. Matt Ryan had a stinker. It's just good to see that kind of, just purely from a nostalgic point of view, just that flair is still there. That Brady magic, even if it's just a flash, it's nice to to see it again with nine seconds to go and just reminisce about uh, all the good times we had. 
Yeah, look, I'm not going to be that guy who says that Brady's past it because every time anyone says that about Brady, he goes and wins Super Bowl and makes him look very, very silly. So I'm not <laughs> going to say that. But I am going to say, you know, you look at quarterbacks that were drafted four or five years after Brady. You look at the Roethlisberger's, the Eli Mannings, the Philip Rivers. They're all sat at home with pipes and slippers and long retired. Everyone's got a sell-by day. And uh, judging by the quality of play this season... Uh, there's a few of that old guard who are starting to smell a little bit funny. Yeah, but we're not we're not putting down the kind of lack of success from the Bucks down to just Brady, are you? No, but what I am saying is that Brady is not making things better. You go back to these quarterbacks in their prime, and they would elevate bad or luck or lackluster teams. They'd get them over the winning line. Brady isn't doing that. Rogers isn't doing that. They might not be the root cause of their teams performance but they're certainly not the key to solving the issues right now yeah no i think that's fair and i think the same situation in green bay although i would say that i think for green bay and i i I hate to rub it in charles i don't want to talk about green bay this match i feel that i'm kind of gloating over how bad your team are but sunday was probably the worst i've ever seen rogers play his execution was terrible now you can say what you want but the interceptions in the end zone they were on him they were, right, and there's no taking away from that, but I still find myself screaming at the the play calling. You know, he had an interception in the end zone. Then we find ourselves there again, five yards from the end zone, and he gets intercepted again. Why are you running a passing play five yards from the end zone when you know Rodgers isn't on form that game? It's beyond me. But I'd maybe challenge you. It was a well design play it was getting back to Yari as an eligible receiver he broke off he got into space it was just a, a five-yard dunker he just had to get it yeah. over like it wasn't like he was being asked to do something hard it was just dunk the ball over and it's a touchdown the play was designed pretty well he just didn't execute no you're right it, it was terrible execution in that situation and oh the bullet pass to the helmet of an opponent, right? Fine, terrible execution, terrible interception. But then it's, and you know, we've seen this from Rogers time and time before, but it's the fact that he threw that bullet pass into an opponent's head and then started looking around, pointing fingers at who he could have a go at. Peak Rogers. If there is one thing that is peak Rogers, it is that right there. And on that note, Charles, I'm going to say thank you very much, good night, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Speak next week, Joe.